Salvation is just the first step in God's plan for our lives. If you'd like to know more about salvation, just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net and click on the Salvation tab today. What David was saying was, it doesn't matter who my enemies are. It doesn't matter who's coming against me. I'm not turning to my own power and my own strength. I'm not turning into the strength of the armies of Israel. He said, what I am doing, he said, I am doing in the might and the power of God. I will walk by faith and not by sight. I will know because my God is able to take care of me. There are four attributes of King David that made him one of God's favorites. If we can apply these same attributes to our own lives, we'll thrive now and in the future. God can use us as vessels to pour out blessings into our communities and around the world. In today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason describes each of these four attributes and how they apply to us. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, King David. I want to talk to you about the warrior King David. How many of you know a lot about David? Amen. David's probably one of the most famous men in the Bible, and he should be because he was the, he was the lineage that God chose to bring Jesus into the, into the earth through. And so I want to talk to you this morning about four attributes. There are many, many more of David, but I want to talk to you specifically about four attributes of David that you're going to need as, the, as times progress and as the enemy brings more and more darkness into the earth. And what we're seeing right now is on a smaller scale what the Antichrist spirit is going to continue to do, and that is to deny Christ and everything that has to do with him. And so as Christ is denied, what you'll see is a reverse. Morality will get worse and worse, and men's hearts will wax colder. In other words, they'll become, they'll become uh, to where they, they don't recognize right and wrong anymore. They will not, they will not be upset by anything that's, that's just wrong. And so sin will have no real effect on them. And because sin has no real effect on them, the people in the church will find themselves under persecution. And if you're not, if you're not steady in the things of God, if you're not faithful in the things of God, then you're going to be shaken. And so you're already seeing it. You don't have to wait and wonder, is it going to happen? It has started already. And it's going to get worse and worse. Now, the good thing is that when darkness begins to get bolder and bolder, then grace becomes greater and greater, and the light shines brighter and brighter. And so we're looking forward to what God's going to use each one of us for. And so I just want to encourage you in these, in these attributes. Four of the attributes I want to talk to you about are, is first that David was a warrior. He was a man of great courage. The second thing is that he was fiercely loyal. Turn to your neighbor and say, fiercely loyal. David had a hunger to know God, and David was a worshiper. And so those are the four attributes that I want to talk to you about this morning, because I believe if we will apply those in our lives, that we will not only be able to be able to sustain if we wind up in the end times, very end times, but we'll be able to sustain what's going on every day in our lives. And not only will we be able to sustain, but we will be vessels of God to where that the power of God is poured out amongst us. Amen? So we want to be those things. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, the scripture said, but now your kingdom shall not continue. He was talking to Saul. And the Lord said, has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 
And so this was where that God told Saul, he said, I am, through Samuel, I'm, I have found a man that is after my heart. You would not keep what I have commanded you. And in Acts 13, 22, Luke tells us that, we, that this was fulfilled in King David. And when he had removed him, Saul that is, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those that does the will of God. Wouldn't you love to go to heaven and God say, you did all my will? See, David didn't make, David made a lot of mistakes. David wasn't a sinless man. But David had a heart after God, and because he had a heart after God, he ruled the people according to how God would have them rule, regardless of his failures in his personal life. His public life never failed on any level of what God wanted him to do. He didn't allow, he didn't allow uh, uh, the idols to come in. He didn't allow the, the, all the different things. And remember this, that he didn't have... He did not have what we have. He had the presence of the Holy Spirit, but not in the same way we do. What he really had was the presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant, and that was what was inspiring him. But he just knew there was something about God that he was so in love with, he couldn't act any other way. So what was it about David that God loved so much? In Psalm 27.1, we read, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Look at that last part. Of whom shall I be afraid? Fear is never supposed to grip us. David, here he is king. He is a warrior king. You know, one of the things that got David in trouble was the fact that that the, the maidens would sing about these heroes and they would, saw, they would sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And so they, they, they heralded David way above Saul and his ability as a warrior. And so we have this warrior king that has the courage to where he goes after the lamb for the, against the lion. He goes after the lamb against the bear. He goes after Goliath. He is a man of great courage. In the end times church, we have to be people of great courage. You see, there's no place for timidity. There's no place for backwardness. There's no place for having, having these, these ideals that says we can back up and the enemy will run away. If you back up, the enemy will press in. Every time you take a step backwards, the enemy is going to try to press you further and further and further away from God. And so every time we tolerate something that God doesn't tolerate, we have made ourselves susceptible to the enemy and to the persuasion that he is saying what is evil is good. Am I making any sense to you today? Amen. And so he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Isn't that cool? Now he talked about salvation not in the same way we're talking about salvation what David was saying was, it doesn't matter who my enemies are. It doesn't matter who's coming against me. I'm not turning to my own power and my own strength. I'm not turning into the strength of the armies of Israel. He said, what I am doing, he said, I am doing in the might and the power of God. I will walk by faith. I mean, I will walk by faith and not by sight. I will know because my God is able to take care of me. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? You know, that's something that, that I've told you over and over again that God had to show me. I didn't trust him nearly as much as I thought I did. 
But God will, God will allow us to do, go through things in order to determine our own trust levels. Not for God, because God already knows how much you trust Him. But for yourself, so that you'll know that, that there are areas in your life where you don't trust God. I used to make fun of people that would come in and they would tell me about their children and, and uh, they would tell me, you know, and I'd say, well, are, are you ready to just let God do whatever He wants to? And the first question they'd ask was, what will God will do? Well, I don't know. I don't have any idea. And so then they would put this, they would put this question mark about whether they wanted to let their children, whether they, they wanted to let God take care of their children or not because they weren't sure what He would do to them. If you're in that category, you don't trust God. See, I, I fell into that category. I thought I trusted God. I thought I had given my children to God. But when things went wrong in my life, I realized, mm-mm, I have not trusted God. I have not taken my hands off and let God do what He wants to do. And I'm going to tell you, that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're used to controlling things. I, I am telling you about an end times church, though, that says we've taken our hands off the steering wheel... God's not our co-pilot. God is our pilot, and He's the one going to do the driving, and we're going to do the riding, and we're going to go where He takes us. Amen? Amen? So Psalm 27 said, He's my salvation. We have to understand salvation in the terms of day-to-day -day activity, not in terms of after we die. After we die is taken care of. How many of you going to heaven? Okay, we know where we're going to go. So that's settled, but He is our, our day-to-day -day salvation as well. He is our Savior today. He is our healer today. He is our deliverer today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so when we look at that, most of the time we're still thinking in terms of being born again. Listen, I'm born again, but He's still my Savior, and I need a Savior every moment of every day. Amen? Come on, give God praise. Just give God praise. Now, the opposite of somebody that has courage is a coward, all right? And so, God, God does not like the spirit of a coward. Look what He says, look what the, he says in Revelation 21, 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Mm. The overcomer, the one who conquers, the one who doesn't turn back, that's my son. But look what he said. But as for the cowardly, turn to your neighbor and say cowards. For the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion shall be in the lake that burns with fire. Look what he does with cowards. He equates cowards with murderers. He equates cowards with faithlessness. He equates cowards with being detestable. He equates cowards as being sexually immoral. He equates cowards with being sorcerers. He, he, he says cowards are idolaters. Cowards are liars. Look what he has done. Can I tell you this? God says that being a coward is detestable in His sight. He has called us to be courageous. The end times church will be a courageous church. Well, Eddie, He separates, and He didn't separate anything out. He said the cowardly, period. How can we say we trust God? How can we believe that God is our salvation and be afraid at the same time? Now, let me kind of clarify that statement. Fear can jump on you like that, right? I don't care who you are or what you are. There was one night 
Herman was still at home. He was 17, 18 years old. And uh, my master bedroom, there was one door that had a, uh, a walk-in closet, and the next door was our, our, our bathroom shower and all that stuff. And so I had, got, I had gotten up to go to the bathroom. Well, what I didn't know was Herman was sleepwalking. And when Herman was sleepwalking, he had walked into my walk-in closet. And so he got in that walk-in closet, and he kind of woke up, and he and I both walked out about the same time. And all of a sudden, I went, ah! and Herman goes, ah! and, I, and I grabbed him because I realized what had happened. And so fear jumped on me just about like that, and it left just about the same way. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something. When you walk into somebody in the dark, whew, that's a little bit different. Fear. It'll jump on you. But what I'm telling you is fear can't stay. Am I making sense to you? I'm not condemning you if you've ever been afraid. I've been afraid before. But I, I, what I'm saying is we need to walk in a place to where we know who we are. And we need to overcome those fears very quickly. You know, sometimes circumstances in our life build up on us and they overwhelm us and we start living out from underneath the circumstances. And when we start living from underneath the circumstances, the overwhelmed part begins to take over and we look more to the overwhelmed than we do to the mountain of the Lord. We don't focus on the cross. We don't focus on the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're focused on the problems. And God says, I want you to be of the courageous. I want you to be an overcomer. You can't do it in your own power and your own strength, but if you will focus on me, I will cause you to overcome. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're an overcomer. And so we see that, that David was a man of great courage. David was fiercely loyal. Fiercely loyal. He was loyal to God and he was loyal to Saul and he was loyal to the people that were round about him. The one time that he wasn't loyal had to do with Bathsheba and he tried to cover up a sin when he got involved in that. But if you go back and read the, the, the script on David, you'll find out that he was fiercely loyal. As a matter of fact, Saul wanted to kill him. David was hiding out. And David wound up in a cave and Saul's armies were around. And so while the armies were around, Saul had to go to the bathroom. How I many of you know they didn't have no porta potties back then? And so he went into the cave, and the Bible says that he, he, he was stooped over his feet. In other words, he was in a squatting position. It was dark. David came around and reached out and touched the hem of Saul's garment, and then he cut a piece off. I don't know about you, but that's even more frightening to me than running into your son coming out of two, -way do two doors, you know. David was sending a message, wasn't he? I was close enough to kill you if I'd have wanted. I could have slit your throat as easily as I slit your garment. But because David loved God, and God said that Saul was his anointed, his fierce loyalty to God made him fiercely loyal to Saul, and he had to repent for even touching the garment of the anointed one of Israel at that point in time. And that's fiercely loyal. 
He was also fiercely loyal to Jonathan. And Jonathan he made a promise to that he would bless all of Jonathan's household when he became king. Jonathan knew that David was going to become king. But when after the battle was over, Saul and most all his household, including Jonathan, were all killed. And so David wanted to know, was there anyone left? In 2 Samuel 9.1, and David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. David sends for him, and this is what 2 Samuel 9, 13 says. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Fierce loyalty. Tremendous trust. Didn't matter what it meant to him. Can you imagine searching out somebody's family? I'm sure when Mephibosheth saw this, I am sure that he thought that David was going to kill him. But instead, David wanted to bless him. That's a picture of our God. You know that? That's a picture of our Savior. That's Jesus. He wants to bless us. Even though we've messed up, even though we, we've, we've gone against him so many different ways, he still wants to bless us. Here he is. He is a man of fierce loyalty. You've got, he, you've got to be able to trust the person that you're with. You've got to know that there is a trust factor there. And so David had this ability to have fierce loyalty. The third thing that he had was a, a hunger to know God. That's one of the things that's kind of missing in the American church is there's not a real hunger to know God. There's a hunger not to go to hell. There's a hunger for some worship, some emotional worship. There's a hunger for some of the things about the church, but there's not a hunger for God himself. Kirk Bennett used to come and he'd say, he'd say, you know, there's, he said, I got a good word for you. God's about to show up. He said, I got a bad word for you too. God's about to show up. When God shows up, things change. God, God's coming to bring change. He, he comes to bring order to his house. He doesn't come to, to disrupt and, and bring disorder. And I'm not talking about shouting, jumping, and running. Come on, we, we're not talking about that. He's talking about, I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about the things that are happening within the church, the, the things that we have tolerated. Jezebel has got to be cast out. When God shows up, the enemies of God start, start fleeing. They start running away because when God is in the house, there's a presence that all of that junk just cannot sit under. And so God is coming in. How many of you have heard about the revival that's going on in Tennessee right this minute? Amen. There's a major revival that's going on in Tennessee right now, and it's a little different than the ones that we've seen in the past. And what's happening is the spirit of repentance, the spirit of the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and with this, this repentance, and people are confessing, and they're coming to the cross, and all of a sudden, out of repentance, a hunger for God that they've never known is coming forth. David was hungry for God. He wanted to know God. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 42.1, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He said, I am, I am desperate 
for God. I want God more and more and more. I go back and I look at Moses, and Moses said, I want to know you. Herman told you a couple of weeks ago about, about him showing up in a burning bush. That's pretty good. How many would be satisfied if God just showed up in a burning bush? Well, I would. I want you to know. I thank you. Amen. <laughs> that would be pretty remarkable, especially if he starts talking to you out of that burning bush. I, I, I'm, that's a pretty amazing thing. But Moses wasn't satisfied with all that he had seen. And then afterwards, Moses just, he said, God, I got to see you. I got to see you. I got to see you. And he hounded God until God finally said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to let my hindquarters pass before you. And it so dramatically changed who Moses was, the people could not even look upon him because of the holiness of the presence of God on Moses. But Moses said, that's who I am. And then, Mo then God, got, God got upset with the people of Israel and said, Moses, you just go on. God said, and Moses said, uh, -uh you don't go, I ain't going. He probably didn't say ain't, but in southern terminology, that's what he said, I'm not going. I refuse to go if you don't go with me. How would you like to do that with God? We, reach, we have to reach a point in our lives to where that we're so hungry for God, we go, uh-uh, I'm not moving, God. I refuse to move. I refuse to do anything until you move. If we're going to sit right here, we're going to sit right here. I am not moving until you move with me. Come on. I'm hungry for you, God. I'm hungry for you. See, we get hungry for things. We get hungry for signs and wonders and miracles. I'm hungry for those things. I'm going to be honest with you. I want to see them. We get hungry for, for a lot of the things. But this is not hunger for those things. This is hunger for God himself. Father God, I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. I, 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 want to, I want to do whatever it takes to be in your presence, God. I want to be a doorkeeper in your house. I, I don't care. Come on. I want to sit at your feet. I want to be with you. Why? Because I'm hungry for you, God. I'm desperate. That's what happens to a deer. When, when, they, when they can't find water, they run. And they will run until they literally die or find water. What are we going to do? Do we hunger after God? David hungered after God. There's a coming a time where you better be hungry for God. I keep telling you about the end times church. We better hunger for God. Because if God is not our strength, if God is not our salvation, if we're not fiercely loyal to God, then when we come to the time of the challenges that come upon us, we will not be able to stand and we will die right where we are. Be hungry. You know, David failed many times. How many of you know David messed up? And, and it cost him a lot. One time it cost him a son. One time it cost him thousands of people in Israel. You know, it cost him a lot to mess up. But I, I love the fact God doesn't remember it from the mess ups. He remembers that he fulfilled his will in the earth. But here he is. He's messed up. But, but David had this one thing going for him. He had a desire to be holy. The Bible said, be holy even as I am holy. God's telling us we need to be holy. That means to be set apart. That means to be otherworldly. That means to be peculiar. That means to be odd. So if you come into the church and you don't want to be peculiar, you've joined the wrong club. We not the nerd club. Okay, we not the lions club. We not the moose's club, moose club. We not any of those clubs. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are a peculiar people chosen by Him, set apart to bring Him praise in the earth. That's who you are. 
in bike lingo, my brother said, if you don't want to wear his colors, don't come in, okay? And he's only got one color. It's blood red, amen? We're going to wear the blood red of Jesus Christ. He says, he's, David failed, but he wanted to be holy. He had a desire. Psalm 32.1 said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. You know, I wake up, that's the first thing I say every morning when I wake up. Thank you, God, for forgiving all my sins. That means even before I get started, I ask for, I've asked for forgiveness and I have received forgiveness. So the last thing I do at night, the first thing I do in the morning is give God thanks for having forgiven my sins. Amen. Come on, give God praise. Just give God praise. David didn't know whether that was going to happen because he didn't have a Savior in Jesus at that point in time. He just said, don't withdraw your Holy Spirit from me. Please, whatever you do. But when he, when he received forgiveness from God, he knew he had been forgiven, and he walked in the power of the forgiveness of Almighty God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. David said, while I was holding that secret inside of me, he said, I was drying up inside. I was dying inside. I, I couldn't stand it. I had to live with my guilt. I had to live with my fear. I had to live with all that I had done. And he said, I just couldn't stand it until I confessed it to the Lord. And he said, when I confessed it to the Lord, he said, forgiveness began to come in. Come on. And he said, and it was through that forgiveness that life, he said, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Amen. I love it. I love it. In that confession, that's, that's the one thing that, man, we have to do. We have to be willing to confess. Confession and repentance is a sign of humility. When we refuse to repent, when we refuse to confess our failures, we are walking in the pride of our sin. And it's not that God is opposed to us at that point in time. It's the fact that we have put ourselves in opposition to God. It's not that God can't draw near to us. It's that we can't draw near to God. And so, and so he's calling us to be a people of a clean heart. And that's what David had. David had a clean heart. Though a righteous man fall a thousand times, surely the Lord will pick him up. And so we have a God that loves us, who wants to pick us back up, who's willing to forgive us, who's willing to take the burden of that sin off our back and allow us to walk in that power. Fourth thing that I said was that David, it was a worshiper. You see, this was the source of every one of his godly attributes. This was the source of his courage. This was the source of his fierce loyalty. This was the source of his humility and his ability to repent. It came out of worship. And so you can, you can be who you want to be, but I'm going to tell you something. If you're not a true worshiper of God... You need to go back to the previous statement and say, i got to get hungry for God. Because when God shows up, you can't help but worship the living God. We have to worship with all that's within us. 
We have to release ourselves to it. In 2 Samuel 6, 20, it said, Then David turned to, the blessed, to bless his household. He had returned the Ark of the Covenant. Part of his whole desire was to go and to get the Ark and bring the glory of God back into the, into the city because it had been stolen by the Philistines. And here he is. He's brought it, successfully brought it back into the city. And he's put it on display so that the whole nation of Israel can come and worship in the presence of Almighty God. And he is so excited that all he wants to do is release blessings. And it says, so then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, y'all know who Michael is. Michael is the woman that he won by defeating Goliath. Okay, so she was a treasured wife. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. I can hear her now, can't you? David. Oh, aren't you special? Here you are, the king of Israel, and you out there dancing like a wild heathen, naked, like you trying to entice the women that are around you. And David said to Michael, I'm, a, I'm sure at this point the joy of his salvation had escaped for a few seconds. Because <laughs> he looked at Michael and said, it was before the Lord which chose me before your father. Bam. He chose me over your daddy. <laughs> it was before the Lord which chose me before your father and before all his house to appoint me the ruler, the people of the Lord. Over Israel, therefore, will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than this and will be base in my own sight and of the maidservants which you have spoken of. Of them shall I be had in honor." NIV said, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humbled in my own eyes. But by the slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in great honor. He said, you go ahead. He said, I, I wasn't worshiping for any slave girls. I wasn't worshiping for you. I wasn't worshiping for the armies of, of Israel. I wasn't worshiping because I had a victory over the Philistines. He said, I was worshiping the God Most High because the presence of God was back in Israel. And he said, I, I got stripped down. He said, I will be more humiliated. In other words, I will take no credit. I will be humble before my God. I don't care what anybody has to say about me. I'm going to worship him in all my might. I'm going to worship him with all my strength. I'm going to worship him with all my ability. He is the one that I'm after. He is the one that I want to please. And if you don't like it, you can just stay shut up in your room for the rest of your life. And that's what she did. And she never had any children. She was a barren woman because she poked fun at a man of passionate worship. Men that we could become passionate worshipers. You see, everything flows out of that worship. And, and, and I'm not talking about out of music. I love praise and worship. I love it. I, and man, it'll get your blood flowing. And sometimes those words, 
Man, those words will just penetrate the mind and go straight to the heart. And when they go to the heart, worship starts emanating. That's why we call it a worship set. It's because then worship really starts. It's not the singing of the song. It's what's coming out of the heart that's allowing the worship to flow forth out of there. And so when those words reach in and they touch your heart, and, and yours may be, yours may come with, with contemporary worship, or yours may come out of hymns, or yours may even come out of Southern Gospel. Now, I'm not talking about those tears you shed because Mama's in heaven. I'm talking about the tears that are shed because Jesus is present. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. And so it may be different ways, but what happens is it's not the, it's not the beat. It's not the, it's not the music. It's not the, the, it's the Holy Spirit that has taken a, a word, a revelation, and he has made it alive to you. And when that thing becomes alive in you, you can't help but express the joy of what has happened. Listen, the Ark of the Covenant for David was the presence of the glory of God. It might as well have been Jesus Christ himself. David was so excited about the Ark of the Covenant, he refused to let go of it. He said, it's mine to bring in. God has given me the honor of being able to bring it in, and I'll do it. To the point that when he went to get the Ark of the Covenant, every six steps he did sacrifice and worship. He did that for three miles. You talk about a worshiper. Wonder how long those worship services lasted. And friends, those were worship services. That's what that was all about. And then David came along and he established the, 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 the tabernacle of David. And in the tabernacle of David, he hired people 24 hours a day to sing worship before the Lord, to play instruments. He hired people to come in and worship God with all their heart so that whenever an Israelite woke up, there were two things that were going on. First was that the presence of the Ark of the Covenant was visible, and the second was they heard worship coming forth through song around the throne of God. Amen. And isn't that what it says in heaven? That worship goes around the throne day and night, night and day. And so we just have to decide, are we going to join in with what's already going on in heaven? Or are we going to sit there like a lump of coal and just let, let our feelings dictate what's going, going on with us? Or are we going to worry about whether somebody criticizes us because of the way we worship? End times church will be the greatest worship movement that has ever hit the planet. I'm saying ever that has ever hit the planet. Worship will be released in such a way that people will be captivated by the presence of God because what's coming out, it doesn't have to be a song. It doesn't have to be anything, but God himself is, a, is, is a standing and applauding because of the worship movement that's taking place on the earth for his son. You hear what I'm saying? Now, the only question is, are you going to be a part of it? Am I going to be a part of it? I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the worship service that, 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 that brings Jesus Christ back into the earth. I want to be part of the worship service that goes on night and day, day and night. I, want, I don't want the angels, I don't want to worship with the angels, I want the angels to worship with me. Come on, that's where we want to be, isn't it? And so we've we, we got to grab hold of these things, and we grab hold of them by deliberately pursuing them. If you're not a courageous person, you need to begin to pursue courage. If you think that you, you're a victim, you need to pursue the, the, the identity of a victor. God said that my sons will overcome because he overcame. Come on. I'm a victor, not a victim. I may be a victim for a minute, but I ain't going to stay a victim long. Amen. 
I am a victor. We need to become fiercely loyal. And our first loyalty goes to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You better be fiercely loyal to where that you do what God has commanded you to do and you, and you start walking out the things that God has commanded you. The third thing you need to do is pursue this hunger. If you're not hungry, get hungry. Well, how do you get hungry? Well, I don't know about you, but when I eat something good, I want more and more and more. And I have the capacity to hold a whole lot. Some of you skinny people out there, y'all don't know what it's like to sit at a table and just eat. I can remember being at my aunt's house. My daddy's sitting there. My daddy was a little bit smaller than he is now. And he'd be sitting at the end of my aunt's table. And, and my aunt was a good southern cook. You know, there wasn't, no, there wasn't anything came out of her, her, her oven was handmade. It wasn't no go buy it in the store and stick it in the oven. Everything was handmade. And when my daddy came, you thought the king had come. This is her little brother. And, and she'd feed him. And my daddy would sit there, and he'd eat, and he'd eat, and he'd eat, and he'd eat. And I'm sitting there as a kid thinking, how much can that little man hold? And finally, after he'd eaten everything he could eat on the table, he would sit back in his chair and he'd go, whew, I'm full. And his next move would be to undo his belt, loosen his pants, and say, I'm going to have to sit here for a minute before I can eat again. Come on. We got to get hungry for God. We got to get hungry for God. And in our hunger, we need to become worshipers. I don't know where you are. I don't know what level of worship you're on, and I don't care. If you're at the very bottom, then start where you are. Come on, just begin to be a worshiper. Learn how to worship. People don't know how to worship. Can I tell you, we have people that show up after praise and worship start because they think that's just the, the, the runway to the message. You've missed it. I'm just telling you straight up, you've missed it. Worship is what it's all about. The Bible says that preaching will come to an end. He talks about the foolishness of preaching. You know when worship will end? Say it again. One more time. We worship for all of eternity. That's exactly right. So we might as well start practicing what we're going to do for all of eternity right here, right now. It needs to become so important to us. Now, you're talking to a person that always thought that's what they did. I always thought you sang a few songs so you could get people's hearts tender so that when the, when the preacher came up there, he could plant what was going on. I was so wrong. I was so backward. You know, I was planting green beans hoping I'd get carrots. I'm just telling you the truth. And then when God began to reveal to me what it was all about, Worship became essential in my life. I've told you all over and over again, I, I'm not a real music lover, but I am a lover of worship. You know, I, I, have, to, I have to hear, I have to sing, I have to rejoice. I, I love it when the Holy Spirit just comes in and just overwhelms you with His presence and you can't say a word. Listen, I, I love that, I love that, I love that. Four things. Courage. Loyalty, hunger, and worship. If you only had these four things, it would sustain you through every event in this life, even if you reached the days of tribulation that are coming on the earth. We're not going through much tribulation, but I promise you there are churches around the world 
that are being persecuted. And you can tell them there's no tribulation, but they're dying for the gospel. They're being tortured for the gospel. They are giving their lives. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you're loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.